Let us pray. Lord, may the words of our mouth and the meditation of our hearts be found acceptable in your sight. For you, O Lord, are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, first of all, it's uh, good to be back with you. I think it was a little over a month ago I happened to be here. I thank Pastor Sippy for having me drive from Branson through driving rain and thunder and lightning. (laughs) But I really had nothing else to do this morning. Well, actually, I did. There's a question that I have been asked over and over in the last five months since my wife and I relocated to Branson, Missouri. The question is, now that you're retired, what is life like? Well, I have retired from pastoring a church, that's for sure, but I have not, nor do I intend to retire from ministry activities. I still keep very busy. I feel almost like one of those old guys that sat on a horse and drove from church to church Sunday after Sunday. So my answer to that question, should you dare to ask me after church today, is this. For as long as possible and as long as God wills, my everyday life will be to live as an everyday disciple. Now that you will notice is also the title for today's message. And I believe that God's word tells us quite clearly that this should be the goal for every last one of us who calls ourselves or claims to be a Christ follower. As people who have been justified by grace through faith, our response really ought to be to live every day as an everyday disciple. We're going to be looking at Luke chapter 10 this morning where Jesus sends out 72 or 70 if you happen to read Matthew. of his committed followers to basically do what John the Baptist did, which was to prepare the way of the Lord. And in this reading from Luke chapter 10, we're going to get a taste of this everyday life of discipleship from Jesus' point of view. In doing so, I want us to note very clearly that Jesus tells his disciples, and that would include all of us, to pray, to do, and to rejoice. So with that being said, I'm going to share a few points with you today. And the first one is this. I want you to consider a disciple's prayer. In Luke chapter 10, verse 2, you've already heard it read, Jesus says to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Now, before I go any further, I want to clarify something. If you were like me, having heard that verse perhaps many times over growing up, you may have already locked into the fact that you thought that what you were doing was praying that God would send out more pastors, that God would send out more teachers, that God would send out more missionaries, but, oh, dear God, please don't send me. That may have been what was behind your mind. But, friends, nothing could be further from the truth because when we hear the word laborers, it includes you And it includes me. I want you to see here the divine logic. Jesus is telling these 72 newly appointed missionaries, if you will, disciples, to go ahead, to go on out, to heal the sick, to preach the good news. Pray very hard that God would send even more workers. When you read this text, it's almost... It almost wants you to rush you through and make you want to do something because there's a a desperate kind of time limitation. The 
harvest, the fields are ripe with a bumper crop. The time to harvest is now or never. In other words, crops are only good for so long, and then they rot, and then they fall off the vine. There's also the issue here of work. The word translated laborers, when he says, I want to send laborers, I want to send you people, that's the same word that we get our word agriculture from. This is referring to the hard work of a farmer. The farmer plows, the farmer sows, the farmer cultivates, and it's only after those hard tasks are accomplished that he can enjoy the harvest. And in the labor of a disciple, again, you and me, there's another type of really hard work, and that is to pray earnestly. Pray earnestly. Labor in prayer. Work hard at praying. Let me ask you a question. You may not like this question, but do you work very hard in prayer? Or do you just kind of toss off a come Lord Jesus here and there and oh give thanks to the Lord? Do you labor in prayer? That's a hard question. But notice what the disciple is to pray. He says, therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of harvest. And here's what we're praying for, to send out laborers into his harvest. And when we pray that, guess what? Sometimes God chooses us to be those laborers. Now, could it be that we sometimes pray for the wrong things? But please understand me, it is not wrong to pray for the lost who are around us. And there are plenty of them around us. Even here in Springfield, which is kind of loaded with churches and Christian colleges and universities, it's not wrong to pray that God would save our family and our friends who don't yet know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. But here in this passage, Jesus doesn't say pray for the harvest. He doesn't say pray for the lost. He says very clearly, pray to the Lord of the harvest for what? Additional laborers. Pray that he would raise up disciples who would be bold in their witness. Pray for laborers who are already doing the work of evangelizing and disciple-making. In other words, we, meet, we need more everyday disciples who are doing the everyday work of telling other people about Jesus. And also notice this prayer is most effectively prayed by someone who is already a disciple. And is already involved in the gospel work. And already sees how many people are still around them ripe for the harvest. And who may not hear the gospel because of a shortage of laborers. I want you to picture a farmer back in the 1940s or early 50s. He's got that old 1950s kind of John Deere tractor, and he's about ready to start plowing a 5,000-acre farm. He gets up really early in the morning, and he starts that old tractor, and he begins plowing. He labors till dark, and he suddenly realizes he has only begun to scratch the surface. His discouragement points to the fact that more help is needed. His aching muscles point to the fact that more help is needed, and that old tractor also points to the same fact. See, here's the other issue here, friends. Jesus tells his laborers to pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out more laborers, more workers into his harvest. And only those people who are laborers and workers in God's field can really understand the great need of everyday disciples. Right now, one of the ministries I'm involved with is called Christ for India. I happen to be vice president of Christ for India. And there's a very famous man when it comes to India. His name is William Carey. 
He was the greatest and the first missionary to India. When he felt God's call to go to India to spread the gospel to these millions upon millions of people, he asked his church body if they would help him in his great missionary calling. His church responded with this, quote, Son, if God wants the heathen saved, he'll save them without your help. And guess what? They were dead wrong. They're just as wrong as the people who question why I work at the largest maximum security prison in America, Louisiana State Prison in Angola, Louisiana. Why do you want to waste your time with a bunch of hardened criminals? Or they ask, why would you spend your time preaching in Nigeria or India or Haiti? Well, guess what? People who ask those questions are also wrong. See, friends, God does do the saving. There's no doubt about it. But he also does the sending. God says he will save the heathen and he saves them as we go and as we tell and as we pray. In the last couple of months, I've had a number of people ask me, what's the church all about? And I said, well, actually, my silly answer is the church is what's left over when the building burns down. That's when you're going to find out who the real church is. But I've also said that I I believe that church is a place where disciples gather and grow and give and go. See, it's in verses like this that we see God's supernatural work of calling his disciples to pray the prayers that he desires to answer even before they pray them. It's God's will to send out more workers. And it's God's will that he chooses people to work through prayer to save these people. So if more workers are going to be sent, it's because we prayed for them and God answers. Now, that in no way makes us the first cause of God doing something. God places it in our hearts to pray the prayer to begin with. And that's what praying in Jesus' name is all about. And so I want to encourage you, friends, even as I encourage myself every day when I wake up, make it a part of your everyday life to pray those everyday prayers for God to send out everyday laborers like you into the harvest field. And remember, when you're praying that, it includes you. Here's the second thing I want you to consider. That's the disciples' task. In Luke 10, 3, it says, Go your way, behold, I'm sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Now, that's kind of a nice job description, isn't it? I want you to go out and spread the gospel, but you're going to go out a bunch of, like, lambs out in the group of wolves. Now, what we have here is really kind of a prelude to what we call the Great Commission. Jesus is calling for nations to uh, hear and to respond to the gospel, and the task of the everyday disciple is to be praying and going and telling. We are commanded as followers to proclaim the same message that he, told, that he did. We are to be everyday laborers, and it's often the case that whenever we pray, God uses us to be an answer to that prayer. But he says, there's a warning I'm going to give you. There will be mixed reactions to your message. Have you ever tried to share Jesus with someone and got a rather mixed message? Imagine me sitting on an airplane and the conversation finally turns around to, and what do you do for a living? Well, I have said I'm a shepherd, and one guy went, no, you don't smell like one. But I can tell you that when I tell people that I am a pastor, 
oftentimes the conversation ends. People really aren't all that interested. There are going to be times when danger will be involved as you talk about Jesus. But understand, Jesus said, everyone you tell is not going to listen. They're not all going to appreciate what you have to say. But that's okay. You keep on praying. You keep on going. You keep on telling. But understand this as well. As you go out as a bunch of lambs among wolves, we are not helpless. I hope you notice that Jesus said, I am sending you. I am the one who is commissioning you. I am the shepherd who leads you. I will be with you wherever you go. See, lambs among wolves, but the great shepherd still leads. That is why we must be praying all the more. This, the everyday life of an everyday disciple is living a life of trusting God to be with us as we go and tell. The question is, friends, are we praying for more laborers? And are we going? Here's the third thing to consider. It's a disciple's message. In verse 9 it says, Heal the sick and say to them, The kingdom of God has come near to you. See, Luke here gives us a kind of a one-sentence summary of the message that we ought to be preaching as we go. It's the same message that Jesus and John the Baptist spoke. It's a message about the kingdom of God. But now in their case, in John the Baptist's case, The kingdom was closer than you can imagine because he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sins of the world. Jesus was that kingdom coming to earth. And healing the sick and performing all those miracles was a manifestation that the kingdom actually had arrived. It was proof of what they preached. I think about that every time I'm overseas. Now, sometimes we say we really don't have miracles anymore. I need to take you to places like India need to take you to places like Africa or to Haiti, where people are healed by prayers, where healing still happens. But like in the Old Testament times, it's proof of the power of Jesus Christ. See, their job is to preach the gospel and call people to repent, getting them ready for the kingdom of enter. And when they preach with Jesus' commission, they are representing him. So when they are neither accepted or rejected, Jesus is either accepted or rejected. And it's the same for us today. We are commissioned by Jesus to go and preach the gospel to those around us. We are to be bold and faithful as we do so. We are to speak to people about sin and about repentance and God's kingdom, which is full of grace and mercy and love and forgiveness. Again, I'd ask you, are you praying for more workers? Are you going and telling and are you speaking to other people? about sin and a Savior that forgives. The fourth thing is a disciple's attitude. In Luke 10, 20, it says, Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. I don't know if you caught that, but when the disciples got back, they were really pumped up. I mean, they had seen all kinds of cool stuff. I mean, they said, Jesus, man, the demons were even running away from us. But what Jesus told them very quickly was this. Don't rejoice in that, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. So we learn from this verse that a disciple must never be prideful, should never be pumped up or puffed up. The disciples had just seen their first victory, and it must have been an amazing victory. But they're a little bit like that t-ball team that wins its first baseball game and chants, we're number one, we're number one on the way to 
Andy's custard. See, the tendency is to begin to think sometime that any success we have in reaching lost people is bound to have something to do with how well the pastor preaches. Or it's attributed to some great missionary strategy or, or some great evangelistic scheme. Or, and then to forget about the omniscient creator who actually did the saving. See, Jesus told him that the everyday disciple does not rejoice that the evil spirits are subject to them. Rather, they rejoice that it is done, and they rejoice that it was in God's name that it was done. He said, rejoice that your name is written in heaven. Rejoice in the work that God is doing for you. Rejoice in the acts of God on your behalf. Rejoice that he receives the glory and not us. So the everyday life of an everyday disciple is simply this. Praying for laborers, going and telling, speaking the good news, and rejoicing that your name is written in heaven. That's the message. But I need to share something that I've shared with, I think, every congregation I've ever served. And this is, it really kind of started out in my first church as an apology. And I said that if I have ever told you that you people need to pray more or do more or read your scriptures more, <laughs> and if I don't lead you by example, and if I don't somehow provide the tools for you to do it, shame on me. And so I'm going to give you a tool today. Not only the encouragement, but a tool. It's not very big, but I've got one for every last one of you that's here today. It's only this size. You can stick it in your wallet, you can stick it in your purse, you can carry it everywhere you want. All the way from this little guy right in the front row, all the way to the biggest old guy in the back. There's one of you, one of these for every one of you. It's called the Divine Plan. I've handed out, I don't know, tens of thousands of these. If you ever wondered, what should I be telling someone? I mean, what is the gospel story? I don't know what to say. Well, we'll give you a handy little tool that will actually help you figure it out. Now, I wish I could have gotten the pictures up here this morning, but they, they didn't show up somehow through email. But you're going to see this when you take it out later. It's a whole bunch of pictures, eight of them. And these eight pictures tell you the story, the divine plan of this Jesus whose kingdom has come. And you can easily share it with other people. You can tell people how God is like a circle, perfect and without end. How that white color reminds you that God is holy and those arrows remind you that God is always going. God is the one that does the, lo the loving. You can look at a picture and say it was God who in the beginning created man and woman. He created the sun, the moon and the stars and everything was perfect. Everybody praised. People loved each other and they loved God. But there was a day when sin came into the world, and suddenly they were separated. But God couldn't stand that, so what does he do? He sends his son Jesus into this world to do what we could not do, to love people and to love his Father. And then he even sends the Holy Spirit into our lives so that we, too, come to faith and do the same thing where we can go and tell. Now, some of you are going to say, well, <laughs> thanks a lot. I really like this. Nothing like getting eight pictures that I haven't got the vaguest idea what any of them mean. But that's why we've got everything you need to know printed on the back, including Bible references. So you can go and you can practice. Like if I practice on this little guy, I'd say, you see this picture right here? See, in the beginning, that's what it says in Genesis 1, verse 1. There's a symbol for God consisting of a circle with some protruding arrows. 
As the circle is one, so God is one. Now you can practice this, and you practice it, and then you have a chance to share it. This past week, I was sitting having a cup of coffee at a place in Hollister. And I just happened to notice a young girl reading a book, a book that I'd read a number of years ago. The book is called The Shack. Maybe some of you read it. I happen to know the author of that. I've read it. Um, I'll say that it's not a bad book, but the theology is shaky. And I asked her, I said, what do you really know about the real Jesus? Do you know any more from reading that? And she said, I don't think so. And I said, would you spare three minutes of time if I could just tell you a little bit more about who this Jesus is? And she looked at her watch, and I thought she was going to tell me, i got to go. But she said, yeah, sure. And I pulled this out of my wallet, and I showed it to her, and explained it to her, and gave it to her. And I said, guess what? When you understand this divine plan, you're going to become an everyday disciple. And an everyday disciple is going to pray and go and tell. May God bless you in that journey. Amen. At this time, we're going to gather together, worship God with our tithes and our offerings.